Hey Siri, how do I get connected at church? I'm not sure I understand. All right, good morning Journey Church. Hey, uh, this is Palm Sunday, and uh, on Palm Sunday Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem for the final time, and there are crowds of people that are cheering him on, and uh, they are putting their cloaks on the ground so that dust doesn't come up as he rides in on a colt. There are people waving palm branches, some laying them in front of him, and a group of people come up and they tell Jesus, they say, hey, I want you to tell these people to quit praising you, you're not worthy of it, and Jesus' response is, sure enough, they can quit praising, but if they quit, the rocks themselves will cry out. Listen, you guys, Jesus is worthy of all the praise that we can give Him, and He will get it one way or another, and it is an honor of us to get to be a part of praising Him. So thank you guys for worshiping the way that you do week in and week out. It is an honor to be able to join with all of creation and worship the One who gave His life for us. So we are wrapping up our uh, Asking for Our Friends series today by looking at the question, how do I get connected at church. This is something that is very uh, special and important to me because I love the church so much uh, that I'm willing to spend my, my, my life pouring into it. That is what I get to do. It's an honor. It's a blessing. It's a privilege to serve as a pastor, one of the pastors of a local church. And I want you to know that I believe in what we do. This isn't just something that I do because I found a way to make a paycheck, but I believe in the mission of the local church more than I believe in anything uh, on planet Earth. And a lot of it goes back to Uh, when I was a teenager, specifically when I was a senior in high school, and the impact that the local church had on me as an individual. And I want other people to experience the same thing that I got to experience and the change that God used the church to bring about uh, in my life. So when I was a freshman in high school, that would have been ninth grade, toward the end of that year, I began to get uh, really sick to the point that I could hardly uh, make it to school each morning. So my morning schedule went like this. I would get up right before it was time to go to school. I don't know if any of you guys do this. Within six minutes, seven minutes, I was ready to walk out to the door, and uh, my brother would drive us to, to school. We would park. I would walk into my first period class, and not because I was lazy, but because I was sick, I would lay my head down on my desk, and I would sleep through my first period class. That is the only class that I ever uh, received a bad grade in. Raise your hand if you received a bad grade in high school. Come on, raise them. Give hope for the rest of, rest of the people in the room. Teenagers, there's hope for you. All right, so I received a bad grade in there, but it wasn't because I didn't try. It was mainly because I was so sick I couldn't stay awake. And so I remember uh, getting to the summer and finally somehow passing uh, that class, making it to the summer and thinking that if I just wait a couple months, then I'll probably feel better and this will all be over with and I don't have to deal with it. I go back to school, life be normal. And so as school began to approach at the end of the summer, nothing had changed. And one day I walked into my mom's room and I said, hey, I need to let you know something. For the last about six months, I've been sick every day to the point that it literally is hard for me to get out of bed. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's causing it. And so we probably should go to the doctor because when school starts back, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't think I will be able to make it. Like I won't make it to class on a daily basis. So uh, she scolds me, one, for waiting six months, but I think that that was something that men do, and I was learning that even at an early age. And so uh, we end up going to the doctor, and the doctor, uh, he gives great advice. He says, hey, I don't know what's wrong with you, and so I will send you to someone else. And I go to another doctor, and we walk in, and he says, man, I don't know what's wrong with you either. Is somebody picking on you at school? Is 
is that why you don't want to go? And I said, man, there's like 80 people in my class. We have to get alone or we don't have any friends. That's how small our town is. So nobody's picking on me at school. He said, well, I can't figure out what's wrong with you. In the process, they're running tons of tests that will terrify any teenager. And they end up sending me to New Orleans. And so we go to New Orleans to the Oshner Clinic and uh, we go to a doctor there and we walk in and uh, she's about this tall and she is the most fiery person I've ever met in my life, and she makes this promise to me when we walk in. She said, I can see you until you're 18 years old, and I promise you by the time you're 18, we'll figure out what is going on with you, and we will fix it. So I'm like, great, within three years, uh, I'll quit being sick, right? It's a great promise. And so uh, we keep going there, and eventually we get home. They run a bunch of tests, too. We get home, and, and there's a, a message on our answering machine. And so the mailbox is blinking. There's four different mailboxes, one for uh, different people in our home. So we press the one that's blinking, and uh, it's this lady from the Oshner Clinic. She goes, hey, uh, I can't figure out what's wrong with you. I've called in a bunch of other doctors, and here's our best guess of what's going on with you. And right now, there's absolutely nothing that we can do that will curb your symptoms or make you better or cure what is going on. With you, and so the diagnosis was basically, hey, just just live it out and hope that at some point that it's going to end. And so that's what I did in the last three years of high school. I think I went to school a total of about seven to eight days. That was the amount of time that I spent in the classroom by the grace of God and the sheer will and uh, cunning ability of my father. I graduated high school some way, shape, or form and started attending uh, classes at night at a college, hoping that at some point that what was going on would, would end. And eventually, look, I won't leave you hanging. Eventually, I outgrew that. But in the process, there's, there's still times that I deal with what was going on. If you want to know what that is, you come find me. There's no reason for everybody in the room to be grossed out. And so, uh, but through the process, toward the end of my senior year, I started spending a lot of time with my pastor. And it was the people from my church that were the ones that kept checking on me. And it was the person that was leading our student ministry that was the one making sure that I stayed in contact with the people that were in our group and was aware of the trips that were happening if I could go on them. She was the one that stopped by my house and spent time praying with me. She brought me uh, books like a biography of Tiger Woods because she knew I was passionate about golf. But it was the church that kept investing in me. And at some point, I realized that I could find hope in the church when I couldn't find hope anywhere else. And that regardless of what happened to me physically, that I could have hope and purpose and meaning in life anyway. And I, I got plugged in. I grew up in church. Listen, I was there all the time. I was always at the church, but I wasn't connected to the church. There was a difference. I was attending, and I was there because my parents wanted me to be, and I was there because I felt like it was the right thing to do, but it was not something that I was connected to, not something that I was investing in, not something that was truly part of my life. And when that happened, when I got connected to the local church, listen, it changed my life, and it was there that I found purpose, and it was there that I found meaning, and it was there that I found hope, not only for the life that I have to live, but for eternity. And I know this, there is a world full of people that are in the same boat. They may not be dealing with some kind of physical ailment. They may not have been told by a doctor. They don't know what's going on with them and they don't know how to fix it. But I do know this, that there are thousands of people within the doors of our church that are walking through life wondering if there is anything that they have to hope for. That's it. They're wondering, is there any... Why should I get up this morning? Why should I go to work? What is this whole life thing about? And they don't have hope and they don't have purpose and they don't have meaning. And listen, you guys, I'm here to tell you today, you can write it down, that the, the church is the hope of the world. That's it. The church is the hope of the world. 
Look, our hope isn't found in, in, in government. Our hope isn't found in the next political candidate. Our, our hope isn't, isn't found in, in a new law passing. Our hope is found in the church because it is the thing that Jesus left to accomplish His mission. It's Palm Sunday, and Jesus on Palm Sunday again told the people, He said, hey, I can be silent, but if I do, these rocks will cry out. And He mentioned a rock in another place in Matthew shortly before this incident. He had asked the disciples... Who do people say that I am? And then he asked him a follow-up question. He said, who do, you, who do you think I am? And Peter responded that you are the son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed him and then made this statement. He said, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, listen, upon his statement that Jesus is the son of God. So Jesus says, upon that truth, I will build my church. Look, he didn't say, I will build a great organization. He didn't say, I will build my political party. He said, upon this statement that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It is the only thing that Jesus left. In just a few weeks, Jesus would enter the city of Jerusalem. And a few days later, he would be crucified on a cross, paying the price for your sins and for my sins. And three days after that, he would get up from the grave. And listen, in three days, not only did he pay the price for sin, but he conquered death and he conquered the two greatest enemies that mankind has ever known. And now we have the ability to be forgiven of our sins and we have the promise of eternal life all at the same time. And so Jesus literally, in the scope of three days, he changed the history of humanity and he changed mine and your your hope and mine and your future. And in that, he changed everything and he left about 40 days later. And when he left, he only left one thing. He left the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, working through the church. Jesus said that the church is the hope of the world. I will build my church and the gates of hell or the powers of hell will not prevail against it. Let's clarify what the church is before we go any further this morning. The church is not this building. It is not where we gather right here uh, at Journey. As a matter of fact, this building could be gone tomorrow and the church of Journey would still exist because the church is the people. And the global church is anyone throughout the world who has ever placed their faith in Jesus is a part of the church. So if you see church with a capital C, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the church all over the world. There, right now, there are millions of people who are worshiping at the exact same time that you are. Look, we have partners all over America that right now, they're holding services in the places that they worship. They're sharing the gospel the same way that we are in this room right here. And they are as much of the church of God as we are. They are a part of the church. This Sunday afternoon at, at 2.30, I believe it is, a new church will, will start in, in Chisholm, Alabama. And is one of our new partners. We have a chance to partner uh, with a church that is launching in the old Chisholm Baptist Church. They've partnered with them, and they're doing tremendous things to reach that community. If you were on Facebook yesterday, you may say, may have saw a post that Pastor Mike and Journey was tagged in just about the little bit of partnership we've been able to partner with these folks about reaching that community. It's exciting things, but they are as much the church at 2.30 as we are right here at 11 o'clock or whatever time it is right now. It's the church all over the world. It's the people. It's the people. Listen, it's not the organization. It's not the building. You are just as much the church when you are sitting in line tomorrow at Chick-fil-A waiting for your chicken biscuit as you are right now worshiping in this room. You are the church, regardless of where you go. Listen, you are Journey. You are Journey Church 
when you're standing in line at Walmart, you're still Journey Church just as much so as you are when you're standing in this room. We are the church, me and you. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus, we're the church. And everyone is a part of it who has made that decision. So how do we get plugged into the church? How do we go beyond attending to actually being someone who is connected to a local body of believers? Because Jesus didn't just tell us to be a part of the church, the global church, but He commanded us to be a part of a local body of believers. If you read through the New Testament, here's where you find the church. When you see the word church, it's generally talking about a local body. People like me and you who gather on a Sunday morning and they worship and they sing songs to God and they read Scripture and they hear messages about how they can live better for Him. That's the church. It's the local church. We gather together one at a time. So how is it that we get plugged in? And the first part is this. You have to make a decision to belong to a local church. It starts there, which is the decision to belong to a church. Not to attend one, but to belong to one. Listen, jot this down on the side somewhere. Me is always, or we is always greater than me. We is always greater than me. God has called you to be a part of something much greater than yourself. He's called you to be a part of a local church where we can do things for Him and where we can advance the cause of the gospel. So growing up, I, I always wanted to play football. Raise your hand if you played football. A little audience participation. You played, played football growing up. There's a very few people in this room or else a, a lot of liars. But either way, uh, football was what I always wanted to do. Growing up, my, my brother was great at, at basketball and he was great at baseball. And I felt like my parents supported him so much at baseball that naturally they should support me when I desired to play football. And I might have brought that up 35, 40,000 times just so, so they would know. It's like, hey, he, he does this, and he's really good at it, and you guys support him, so why can't I play football? Looking back, I, I think maybe my parents saw that I wasn't going to be any good, and they just wanted to spare me from the humiliation that would come from, from playing. But in the seventh grade, they gave in. And they said, you know what, maybe, maybe you're, you're grown enough, right? It's always the excuse that, that your bones aren't developed enough. You'll probably break something, or you'll get hurt, and and then you won't grow right and all kind of stuff. They had all kind of excuses. I think they didn't want to pay for it, just to be honest with you. But they gave in in seventh grade. And I remember going the first time to a field house. And it was the most disgusting thing I ever walked in in my life. And we walked in and the coach fit me for shoulder pads. and gave me a bunch of other pads and stuff I didn't know what I was supposed to do with. And figured out how to put all of that stuff on. And we finally make it out to the practice field. And the coach goes, so what position do you play? And I said, man, I have no idea. I don't even know what positions are, right? You just tell me where you want me to go. And he said, we'll put you at running back. And I thought, this is amazing. Right, I'm going to be a running back. This is the guy that touches the ball all the time. I don't know how it was when you grew up playing football, those of you that raised your hand, but we threw the ball about twice a game. That was it. It was the running back who was always touching the ball. In fact, the quarterback oftentimes wasn't even the best player on the field. His goal was to do this, hunt. And he just handed the ball off. That was it. And he handed the ball to the best player on the field. And then you just hoped he could make something happen, right? There's a little bit of a hole in the line. Or maybe everybody came and he just ran around the corner, which was happening more often than not. And he just tried to make something happen. So I thought, he must think I'm going to be really good. So he put me at running back. And sure enough, we practiced a few plays. And it's Hutt. And they, they hand me the ball. And about four plays later, he goes, hey, man, why don't you go try being a wide receiver? 
And I thought, he knows I'm not any good, right? Because we never threw the ball. But look, something happened in junior high. I was the only receiver on our team to ever cut, ever catch a touchdown pass. That was me. Come on, you guys. Right? Seventh grade accomplishment. It was amazing. Changed my life forever in no way, shape, or form. And uh, the majority of the sports your kids are playing won't either. But that's a whole other story. But I remember being the one who, who, who went out as a receiver, and my job was simply to block. I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, get in the way of the person in front of you. That's all that you got to do. Just get in his way, slow him down, and hopefully uh, our running back can get by him. But listen, when it became time to be a part of the team, I was sure that everybody knew I was a part of that team. And so our first pep rally was coming up, and and we all had our jerseys, and we were going to wear them that day, and I walked onto that campus like a boss. Listen, nobody in that school had to know I was playing a position that didn't matter. I was a part of a team. I was a part of something that was bigger than that one position that I was a part of. And not only that, we were pretty good. And so I wanted to identify as part of that. Look, there are things that identify you as part of a church. There are things that identify you as part of God's church and the part of a local church. The first one is baptism. Baptism identifies anyone as a part of the church global. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus is commanded by Him to be baptized. And so when we're baptized, we're identifying with the rest of the church all around the world and we're letting everyone know that, hey, I'm a part of the church, that I've made a decision to trust Jesus with my life and now I belong to Him and I'm part of what He left behind, which is the church. I don't know if you remember the day you got baptized... It's a vivid thought in, in my mind. It was around the age of, of 11, and I'd made a decision a year before, but I was scared to death of people, and so I would never walk the aisle, which was what you had to do in the church I grew up in. So you'd walk the aisle, and then the pastor would pray for you and counsel you why everybody was supposed to be singing, but they were staring at you, wondering what was going on, right? And I didn't want that. I, I was terrified of people and standing up in front of them. And so a year later, I finally mustered up the courage and... And I came forward, and a couple weeks later, I was getting baptized, and I was terrified again, because I didn't know what was going on. Like maybe I was going to fall down the steps, or I was going to embarrass myself some way, shape, or form. But I got down, the pastor asked me two or three questions, and I just answered yes. I don't, I don't remember what he said, but I remember going under the water and coming back up. And I remember knowing at that point that I now had identified my life with Jesus. So there was something different that everybody in that room now had the ability to hold me accountable because I had said, my life now belongs to Him. I'm a part of His church. And I didn't fall down going down to the baptism, but I did fall down going up. And so I fell down, I came back in. I got baptized twice in one day. Bet you guys can't say that. But look, it was an identification. It was something that let people know I'm a part of the church. There's something else that we do to identify as a part of the local church. We choose to become members. We become members. Saying that I'm a member of Journey Church is a way of you identifying and committing to a local body of believers. Look, there's an attack on church membership right now. There are those who would argue that it's not biblical and there's no reason to actually become official and join a church. But with that thought in mind, I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them a reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Look, don't miss it at the beginning. He says, obey your spiritual leaders. Well, let me ask you this question. If you've yet to commit to a local 
body to a local church? How do you know who your spiritual leaders are? Who is it? Is it every pastor that gets on TV and preaches a sermon, sometimes accurate, sometimes, sometimes not? Is it every pastor in, in the local river region? Is that every pastor of every church? Is that, is that your spiritual authority? I would say that unless you actually take the formal step of becoming a member and saying, I'm going to choose to belong to this body, that you can't live out this passage because you don't know who has spiritual authority over you. And the verse says, hey, obey your spiritual leaders. You have to know who your leaders are. Listen, at Journey, that means that every, every pastor on this staff is a spiritual leader, and at some point, look, according to that verse, we're going to give an account for all the people that God has placed uh, in our flock to lead. You know what that means for me as a pastor? That means I want to know who that is. <laughs> like if one day I'm going to stand before God, and He's going to say, hey, I, you're going to give an account for these people who you're responsible for leading, then I want to know who it is that I'm responsible for leading. And the only way that we're aware of that is we're aware of the people who have said, hey, I'm choosing to make Journey my church home. This is, this is the church that I'm not only going to attend, but this is the church that I'm going to be a part of. This is where I'm choosing to invest my life. And then you know clearly who your leaders are, and then your leaders know clearly who it is that one day they're going to give an account for. And listen, if you think it's okay to love Jesus, but not be connected to the church, I'd have you write this statement down. You cannot love Jesus and hate the church. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't actually love Jesus and hate the church. Let's say a buddy of yours gets married, and he comes walking up after a ceremony, and Man, you're patting him on the back and you got your arm around him and you're squeezing his shoulder and you're telling him how proud you are of him. And then you go, yeah, man, but that lady you just married, she's, she's kind of a loser. <laughs> how do you think that will go? Probably not so good. I would say that he will no longer be your buddy. In fact, something physical may come from that, that little statement or from that altercation. It will develop at least into an argument because you have insulted the person that he loves. Listen, I want you to know this. Jesus loves the church. And so when you insult the church, whether it be Journey Church, another local body of believers, or whether it be the church global, anywhere throughout the world, when you insult the church, you are insulting the thing that Jesus loves. Listen, you are basically telling Jesus, hey, I love you, but your bride is ugly. Listen, you can't get away with it. it you can't do it. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't really love the church because the thing that he left and the thing that he loves is the church. And he has commanded us to be a part of it. And so if we're going to get connected at church, listen, it always begins with a decision for us to belong to a local church. Don't miss that. To belong, not attend, but we're choosing, this is where I'm going to belong. In Ephesians, it puts it this way, for the husband, this means love your wives, listen, just as Christ loved the church, He gave up His life for her, for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's Word. Jesus loves the church. You've been called to be a part of a church, and I want you to know just on the front end that if you've yet to join Journey or you've yet to join any local church, wherever it is you might be, I'm going to give you a couple of warnings and some things that, that you need to know on the front end that these things are going to happen if you join a church, here's the first one. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to get disappointed. Absolutely. There are going to be Sundays you leave and you're like, they didn't sing one song I want them to sing. Not one. I didn't like anything that they did. There are going to be times you go, everybody else in my group got a birthday card. 
not me, <laughs> right? You're going to get disappointed. There are going to be times that you want to do something and the church leadership is going to say, yeah, I don't really think that's the direction that God is leading us and you're going to get disappointed. You're going to, I, really, I really want to do that. There are going to be things you wish the church did and things you wish they would stop and you're going to be disappointed when those things don't happen. Know on the front end that, that whatever church you join, that you are going to get disappointed at some time with it. Here's why. Because the church is people. It's made up of people. And when sin entered the world, people were broken. Not only were people broken, but the world was broken. And we live in a world full of sin. And we are sinful people who have found a Savior. But listen, we still struggle and we're not perfect. And we don't get everything right. And because there are so many sinful people in one place, something will happen that will disappoint you. There's no way for it not to happen. At some point in any local church, you will be disappointed. So if you're here and you go, I finally found the perfect church. I want you to know on the front end, you have not. Right? We will make mistakes. You will be disappointed. Jot down, jot down. You'll also get hurt. You'll get hurt. You won't just get disappointed, but you'll get hurt. There will be things that people say that, that cut a little deeper than they were supposed to. Maybe it's something that's said from the platform. Maybe it's something that's said in a group that you serve with. Maybe, maybe it is being forgotten. Maybe it's, maybe it's you going, you know what, man? Uh, I feel like everybody in my group gets more attention than I do, or I feel like they don't care about me, or I feel like they don't answer my emails fast enough, or whatever it may be. There will be something that hurts you. They didn't show up when I really needed them, or, or I didn't get a meal when I, when I, when I needed a meal, or whatever. There will be something that hurts you in the local church for the same reason. There will be something that disappoints you. But listen, it is a body, it is a family that you choose to belong to. Regardless, because listen, you will be disappointed, you will be hurt, but I can promise you this, you'll be better. You'll be better, because Jesus has called you to be a part of the local church, and He hasn't called you to be a part of the local church because He just wants to give you a test and see if it's something you're going to do. He's called you to be a part of it because it's a crucial element in you becoming more like Jesus. And so He says, look, I want you to be a part of that church knowing, knowing that, that at times you're going to be disappointed, and knowing at times that you're going to get hurt, I want you to be a part of it anyway because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. The Bible refers to the church in a lot of different ways. It calls it a body. We'll look at that in just a second for a moment. It also refers to it as a family. We're a family of believers. And look, there is nobody that can hurt you like your family. You know what I'm talking about? They know things about you that could probably end your career right now, right? They know stuff. They're the ones that bring up the stories from childhood that you don't want anybody to know, right? Your family can humiliate you. If you bring a girl home for the first time, you want her to meet your mom, she busts out the baby pictures, right? It's humiliating. They can hurt you like nobody else. But listen, they can also encourage you and push you forward like nobody else. And so why you have this spiritual family that at times it can be difficult because we're just learning to live and to do life together, it's always worth it. Look, I want you to know that there is no other organization on the face of the planet that deserves your time and your effort like the church. Like the church. Because it doesn't just meet physical needs. Listen, it changes lives for eternity. And it is absolutely, absolutely worth being a part of. And so step one will always be choosing to belong. Listen, step two is... I'm going to make a choice to become a part of a group. I'm going to make a choice to become part of a group. You're not meant to do life by yourself. In fact, you can only advance so far in your relationship with God until you allow other people to speak into your life. In fact, jot it down. You're created to be in community. Part of the reason that you exist is to do life with other people. 
In 1 Corinthians, Scripture puts it this way. It says, this makes for harmony among the members. So Paul is talking about every role that people have to play and how they're all different. And he says, this makes for harmony among the members. So that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And again in Galatians, it says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. To get plugged into a group at Journey means that, that you join one of our life groups. There's about, on any given Sunday right now at Journey, there's around 700 people between this room and the kids and Route 56 and, and everyone that is on our campus on a given Sunday is 700 people. Look, I want you to know you can't know that many people. And they can't know you. In fact, many of you sit in the same spot every week and there's people that sit in front of you and you don't know their name, you know what their face looks like and your greeting to them on Sunday is to create a name for them. Right? They go, hey, how are you doing this week? And you go, hey, buddy. Right? Everybody becomes buddy. Everybody is named buddy. There's a couple guys named buddy in this church. So you might, you might actually get it right one day. And he's like, he knows who I am. Right? And so it, it, it's okay. I want you to tell yourself that's okay. You can't get to know everybody in this room. But look, there's a desire within you. I know it's a God-given desire to know other people and to be known. And that happens in groups. If you want people to care for you, if you want people to be there when you're hurting and when you're sick, if you want people to walk through difficult times with you, whether that's through a loss of a loved one, or whether that's just going through difficult times as a family, or through an individual, trying to figure out what God is doing, and how He's working, and how He's moving, that don't happen in this room. That happens in a life group. And my first question to anyone who goes, hey, this is going on in my life, when they call our church or sit down in one of our offices is, tell me what life group you're a part of. Because that is where the care happens. And that is where lives are changed. And that is where relationships are built. Listen, in many ways, it is more important than what we do in here on Sunday morning. So jot these thoughts down. Some benefits of being a part of a group. The first one is this. You'll get to know people. You won't have to call everybody buddy. Right? You'll actually know what their name is. And you'll know what's going on in their life. And you'll know the good times. And you'll know the bad times. And you'll know their kids. And all the fun stuff that goes along with building relationships. And then you'll also be known by people. You'll be known by people. There's a desire within each of us, not just to know people, but to be known. And I mean beyond what we put out on social media. Looking at about the image that we create, but it's about knowing who we really are. It's about people knowing us. Not just the image that we put off. So you can be a part of, of a life group. We also have a ministry at Journey that's a part of our life group. It's called Titus 2. And, and a lot of you guys have been a part of that. And, and it's where a group of ladies, a small group of ladies, four or five, partner with a lady who is further along in her walk with the Lord than they are. And, and the, the goal of the program is simply to help people take their next steps in their walk with Jesus. That's it. And so they, they walk through one by one. Hey, I just want to help you walk forward in your walk with Jesus. And, and they get a little bit deeper, listen, than what you're going to get in a life group. We're excited. We're looking for mentors right now. Matter of fact, for our, our next year of Titus 2, if that's something that you're excited about or something that you think you could have an impact on others' lives with, then go online and sign up for it today. Look, you could do it right now, but I would encourage you to wait until, until the message is over. Go online, sign up, say, look, that's something I'm interested in. I just want to talk about it. And you may talk about it, you may go, yeah, I'm not ready for that commitment. Look, we also have a, a men's version of that that is launching, and it's called Forge. And the same thing, where just four or five guys get together on a monthly basis, and they hold each other accountable, and they pour into one another, and look, they know each other. 
they know each other. It isn't about knowing this fake facade that we put up when we walk into church and we act like everything's all right. It's about people really knowing who we are. And again, that won't happen in here. That happens when you intentionally get in groups outside of this room that are much, much smaller than what's going on in here. And so we'll join a group. And the third thing is this. We'll join a team and we'll use our gift to serve. If you want to truly get connected at a church, you will join a team and you will use your gift to serve. Jot this thought down. You've been given a a spiritual gift that makes you unusually effective. You're unusually effective in a certain area. In other words, there is something that you're really good at. In our membership class, we said this way, that you're a 10 at something. That there is something that God has gifted you that you're really good at and we want you to use it. But we don't want you to try to be good at something that you're not good at. If you can't handle being in a room full of 12 kids, then guess what? We don't want you in a room full of 12 kids, right? But if that's something you thrive at, and if you love that environment, that's where we want you. There's something you're good at. Maybe you're just a, a natural person uh, that, is, that, that is hospitable. And it's easy for you to make other people feel welcome. Look, I know you think everybody else can do that. They can't. There are people sitting in this room that if you put them at a front door, maybe nobody may never come back. And that's because they don't have that gift. Look, it doesn't mean one is right and one is wrong. But if you have that gift, man, use it. Get plugged in and use it. It's important and it matters. There are people with the gifts of service or the gifts, gifts of help. And that means that when chairs need to be picked up, there were people several weeks ago when Pastor Mike said, hey, we have an event tonight and we need to get all these chairs. There were some people that left, right? Now, I want you to know we don't, we don't care, right? If that was you, that's okay, you left. There were other people that went, I've been waiting on this all week, right? And they were stacking chairs left and right. And they may have been stacking them right, they may have been stacking them wrong, but they were stacking them, right? Those chairs were getting done because that, that's what they're good at. They're just good at getting things done that need to get done. There's some people with the gift of leadership. You know, they have the ability to pull together teams and to accomplish a lot of things. We want you to just discover where you're a 10 and to use it. And as all of us do that, look, we'll begin to make a difference. Jot this down. You can discover your gift by asking three things. We're going to run through these real quick. What are you naturally good at? What are you naturally good at? Listen, sometimes God gifts the call. In other words, He has a mission for you and then He equips you to do it. But sometimes, sometimes He calls the gifted. There are things you're already good at and you should just be using those for the body, for the gospel to advance. If you're good at playing an instrument, then you probably should be playing an instrument uh, on Sundays. Right? If you're good at teaching, then you should find a a place that, that you can teach and you can use that to build up the body of Christ. If you are a hospitable person, then you shouldn't just be entertaining people in your home, having fun. You should be making a difference by hosting a life group or being a greeter at a front door. We're using the things that we're already gifted at to, to make a difference. Second, what are you passionate about? There are things that you are passionate about in life. Like you want to make a difference and you're passionate about Some of you guys are passionate about foreign missions. And when the subject comes up, you are all over it. And you think everybody should take a foreign mission trip at some point in their life. You're passionate about it. It's made a difference in your life and it's a passion that God has put in front of you. I'd say one thing, don't expect everyone to be passionate about what you're passionate about because we all had the same passion and there'd be a lot of stuff that didn't get done. But you're passionate about something that is unique. And your passion, God wants to use it to make a difference at this body, at this place, with this group of believers. And then ask this, what have other people affirmed you in? What have they said, you're good at that? 
And you're good at it. There's been multiple people probably in your life that have pointed out something that you want to admit, that you don't want to admit you're good at. They said, you know what, when you do that, you're really, you're really effective. You're effective at that. And you go, ah, no, I don't think so. And then somebody else has said, you know, you're really good at that. And you go, oh, I don't think so. Look, drop the false sense of humility and whatever you're good at, use it. Use it. Do something with it. Allow God to use it and to make a difference. And here's what you'll discover. When you actually start using your spiritual gift to impact others, your life will be impacted. It'll impact you more than you impact the lives of other people. And as you impact the lives of others, God will begin to use those that you're impacting to make a difference in your life. Look, and discipleship will begin to happen. It's an amazing, it's an amazing adventure, and it's something that God does over and over and over again. But we love to celebrate our dream team, those that, that make what we do on Sunday morning possible. At any given Sunday, there's well over a hundred people that are working to make sure that services happen and that kids are taken care of and that the cafe is ready when you guys arrive and that, that, that you know that you're wanted here by shaking your hand at the door and making sure handouts are ready and, and all that good stuff. It takes a lot of different people to make that happen. So we want to celebrate you guys. One, if you're serving, thank you. And then we also like to point out individuals who, who are doing what they do well and, and that God is using. And one of those individuals is a guy by the name of Brady Simpson. So I'm going to ask Brady if he will to join me here on the platform. And uh, I just want to ask him a few questions about how, how serving has changed. You guys can give Brady a hand. So Brady, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up at Journey and uh, where you're currently serving. I feel like we've done this before. We did it once before. Okay. Yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, so I ended up at Journey. I had a couple of guys that I worked with uh, at Sobic. I worked between Montgomery and Selma at a plant, a plastic chemical plant. Anyway, two of the guys I worked with and invited me to Journey, and it probably took two or three times uh, before I finally ended up coming. I came the, the second year we did man camp. Actually, man camp uh, was kind of what drove me to come because I got to meet some of the guys, and it wasn't as a surprise when I saw a lot of the people. So uh, I came, and I probably, I think it was in 16, September 16, when I started coming. Uh, me and my wife, we just fell in love with the church. Just uh, the atmosphere, the love um, that people greeted us with and showed us around and just felt like a very homey environment. You know, it felt natural. Gotcha. So... So where are you serving now? So transition from the time you got here to now, where are you, where are you serving currently? So currently I'm serving in the usher team and the life group leadership. Um, I, love, I love doing life groups. Um, and I also love doing the usher stuff, uh, just greeting people and making this people feel as welcome as I felt when I first started coming. So that's a big thing that drives me. I'm very passionate about that as well with the uh, life groups. So how did you end up serving there? Life groups or usher team? Uh, usher team. Usher team, uh, well, it was kind of the same answer for both, really. Uh, Billy Davis uh, asked me to help one Sunday. Uh, uh, he just said, hey, man, we need some help passing out a basket. And I was like, that can't be too hard. I was uncomfortable, but, you know, it was pretty simple. Then the next time he was like, hey, can you greet at the door? And, and then he just fell into that. So now I'm kind of leading the second service usher team. But it kind of helped me, him pushing me past my comfort zone, really helped me step out of my own comfort and start loaning, growing. Learning and growing. Yeah. Uh, and the the uh, the other is the life groups. Um, kind of how I started in the life groups. Uh, the first one I attended was led by Billy. Uh, it, was a, it was a men's group only. And then I, I really enjoyed it. Me and Dustin, the guy I worked with, we both joined it together. And uh, 
the next semester, Billy asked if I would co-lead. I was super uncomfortable with it. It's not something I'd want to do, um, lead a life group with a bunch of men. It's very, very strange and unnatural to me. It's something I'd never done before. Um, I was like, man, sure, yeah. He said, you know, it's not going to be really anything. You just take some prayer requests and kind of I'll do everything else. You don't have to worry about it. And the first, the first group rolls around and Billy calls and says, hey, man, I'm out of town. Can you cover a life group? And it just, well, it pushed me past my comfort zone, really helped me grow. Um, so. so how has serving in, in either one of those areas, how has it had an impact on you? Serving in both areas has allowed me to grow into the, it's, it's allowed me to develop the passion that I have for serving in the church and, and doing what I know God's called me to do. And it's all through the uh, grace that he's given me and, you know, leadership that God gives me, uh, that I'm able to do anything that I, that I do here. Uh, and the only reason I push my comfort zone is because I know it's what Jesus wants me to do. Uh, it, at church, in my marriage, at work, and, and wherever. Uh, but it, it's definitely helped me mature as a Christian, a, a neighbor, a friend, a husband. It's, it's been a, a blessing to be able to serve here. You guys, we want you to have the same type of experience in your life. We realize it is outside of your comfort zone. Uh, oftentimes to serve, but it also is something uh, that God will use to impact your life. So as you step outside that comfort zone, uh, he'll make a change in your life. There's a card in your seat when you walked in. I can't think of a better time to start serving than Easter. So there's a card in your seat, and if you would like to start serving uh, here at Journey, listen, this is not us begging for help. I want you to know that, that our desire is for you to, to see the dream that God has placed inside of you come to life. So if there's something that you want to do here at Journey, we, we think Easter is the best time to do it. There's going to be hundreds of guests on our campus, and we want you to be a part of making them feel welcome and having an impact on them with the gospel. So you just fill that card out. You can drop it in the offering basket. And I also want to brag on Brady uh, a little bit publicly. So Brady is not someone who just shows up on Sunday and, and hopes that things work out. He is someone who is investing in his team, both both his life group and his team, uh, here on Sunday morning. And he is, he is not only making sure that you guys are, are welcomed and the offerings are taken the way they're supposed to, and uh, just that people are at the doors and those type things. But he is investing in his team, and he's making an impact on their lives far beyond uh, what, what we will ever be able to see. And I'd say there's probably lots of people in this room that felt, have felt welcome because of you, and uh, probably lots of them that, that you're not even aware of. So uh, you've made an impact far greater than, than you'll know until, until you step to glory. So, uh, Brady, we appreciate you, man. I thank you uh, one more time just for your service. You guys, join a team. Scripture says this in Corinthians. It says, Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. And he's talking about the church, but how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Listen, we want you to know as we wrap up today that everything that happens here at Journey is important. So wherever you're serving, it might, something, it might be something that seems small to you, but there is nothing that is not important. Every single thing that happens at Journey, week in and week out, is important. And so your part, your role that you choose to play is important, and you're making a difference. Listen, if that's snapping photos or changing diapers or shaking hands or giving high-fives, whatever it is that you do, we want you to know that it's important. And so find your place. Find the, the, the place that God wants you to serve and to be, be a part of it. 
And then finally, I want you to know this as we close out. You belong here. You belong here. Look, God has brought you here. And every part is important and needed. He described the church as a body. And he said, listen, I want you to know every part is important. Some of them you see, and some of them get a lot of attention. But there are other parts that you never see. But what they do is just as important as the parts that you actually see. So what you do week in and week out matters. You belong here. This is a place that God has brought you. And He's brought you not just to attend, but He's brought you here to be a part. So next steps for us today. The first next step is to choose to attend Growth Track and become a member of Journey. Listen, if you've been here for a long time, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here. And the way that we do that is, is through our growth track. And step one is coming up the first Sunday of next month. And so you can go online, you can sign up, you can be a part of that. Right now, you can go ahead and say, look, I'm going to walk through that. And we'll share our vision with you and we'll share our values. And we'll give you a chance to say, I believe this is where God is calling me. Look, not just to attend, but he's calling me to invest my life here. So that's the first step. The second step is you can choose to attend step two and join a life group. You don't have to go through Growth Track to join a life group, but it will be the best option for you. to start, Just walk through. We'll share with you why it is that we do life groups in greater detail. And we'll give you a chance to plug into a group of people who, like you, are walking through life and just trying to live for God the best that they possibly can. And then step three is this, to attend step three and then join a team. Your next step today could be stepping outside of your comfort zone and putting your name on that card and saying, you know what I am. Man, I've been tending a long time and, and I'm ready to be a part of what God is doing here. You've been watching it. You've seen lives change week in and week out. Listen, we want you to be a part of it. Be a part of it. If that's shaking a hand or waving at people as they come into the parking lot. Or if that's serving coffee or, or watching kids or playing an instrument or singing a song. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here by using the gifts that He has placed inside of you. Would you guys... Pray with me this morning as we wrap up. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for, for who you are. God, I think for Journey Church. God, I think for this local body of believers. And in this room this morning, there's a lot of different people. Lord, we come from different backgrounds and different walks of life. But we have the most important thing in common. That being you. And so, God, I thank you for the unity that can be found through a relationship with you as you bring hundreds of different people together with one purpose and one mission. Hey, guys, as we close out this series and as we close out today, I want you to know that that walking through those steps, it's important, but it doesn't mean anything if you hadn't already taken the step and began a relationship with Jesus. That being a church member is pointless without having a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. We talked about it earlier. The beautiful message of Easter that we're about to celebrate is that you and I are sinners. That means we missed the mark. We messed up. We hadn't lived up to the standard that God placed for us. But Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He met that mark. He met that standard. But He chose to give His life on on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. And He was buried. And He rose again three days later so that you and I can be certain of the eternal life that God offers us. If you've never made the decision to trust Jesus and to ask Him for forgiveness, then today is the day to do that. 
Let's don't wait. Don't go, I'll do that next week. Do it right now before you walk out of this room. You can say a prayer. It's between you and God. You don't have to say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe that you died, that you were buried, and that you rose again. Lord, I thank for anyone who is stepping into that new relationship with you. God, would you give them the courage it takes to step back to the VIP room in just a minute and share the change that you've brought about in their life? Hey, guys, if you would, just remain in a, in a state of prayer. As we wrap up our, our series, Asking for a Friend, we want to remind you that it's okay to ask questions. And so we're going to play a song, and as we play the song, I want you to listen to the words. And as you're listening to the words, if you would, just take some time and ask God a couple of questions. Listen, God is big enough for any question that you can throw at Him. And the way that you learn new things is by asking questions. And so we want to give you a moment to ask God questions. And I just want to ask a few of them of you. If you would just take a moment, and would you ask God what He's leading you to do with this thought in mind? What is it that I would do that would have an impact on the world? What is it I would do if I knew it wouldn't fail? What would I do? And I want you to ask God to bring that dream to reality within you. And then I want you to ask one other question. Lord, who is it you want me to invite? Who do you want me to bring with me next week? And then maybe there's a question that's been weighing on you. Maybe as we walk through the series, you were hoping each week, you were thinking, Lord, man, I hope they address this question. I hope they talk about this. And I hope, I hope I can finally figure this out. Would, would you just take a moment expressing that question to God? Listen, there was, there was a dad that came to Jesus in the Gospels. He said, Lord, I don't know if you're willing, but, but can you heal my son? And Jesus says, anything is possible for those who believe. And the father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Listen, he's saying, I believe, but I don't quite have it all figured out yet. And that's okay. It's okay to be at that spot. It's okay to say, Lord, I believe, but there's still some stuff I'm trying to figure out. So as we walk through this song, would you just spend some moments with you and with your Savior and choose to trust Him regardless of what the question is?